The following audio horror presentation is intended to frighten and disturb. Join us on this dark and unsettling journey at your own risk. Because behind these doors, there will be no sleep. Brace yourself for the No Sleep Podcast. Just get it open! Get it open! Yeah, I'm on it. Just give me... Ah, oh, come on! Get in! In! Lock it down. Seal the door. Their persistence is impressive. Tell me about it. I thought we lost them in that Jabutakaba orchard. And yet, here we are, under siege like it's 1204 all over again. Weird, weird references. Uh, uh, yeah, I've officially decided. I hate getting shot. I hate it so much, you guys. I'll get a first aid kit. First aid, all right. I hope it has forceps. Don't go too far or crazy. They got me too. Honestly, I thought it would hurt more. You know what I mean? No. No, no, I don't know what you mean. There are a hundred foul-tempered fire ants inside my leg, Addison, and they've all decided to hate me. Ha, colorful metaphor. No, totally literal. I've got them, too. See, it must be something new the local constabulary is trying out. No, oh, God, that that's awful. Um, is there anything I can do? Sure, actually, it'd be great if you could... Do we have wounded? I guess. Yes. Here. <laughs> Ouch. All right. Let's see here. Oh. Oh, my word. Oh. What did it do to the bone? Oh, why is it? I know, right? <sighs> we'll do everything we can to save the leg. Don't worry, worst comes to worst, we'll just have Alexis set you up with a really nice replacement. A little cup holder, it'll be great. Who's next? Oh, we got twin shoulders over here. Ouch. Oh, we'll, we'll get you patched up, not to worry. Seriously, I don't think I feel anything anymore. You get used to it. And you? Not gonna bite if we get too close, are you? Are you talking to me or the ants? <laughs> no, I'm fine. It's just a... <gasps> oh! Damn. Okay, so you realize that there is a massive bullet hole in your hand, right? Oh, I did feel a little breezy in here, yeah. <sighs> They're just not giving up. 
How long do you think the, uh, the door will hold? An hour? Maybe two with the barricade bar. I'll attempt to further fortify it. Should we hit the self-defense button? The what? The red button in the control room there. Um, no. We shouldn't hit that. I'm like 99% sure that blows up the entire compound. The tunnels, the lake, the aqueduct. Not the pheasant sanctuary! Oh yeah, that button would blow those poor innocent pheasants straight to hell. Okay then, good to know. Up you get, Corinne. Away from the door. We've got you. What happened out there? Did you find the key? We found uh, something, but it also might be that we found nothing. Kyle, didn't get shot in the pocket, did you? I assume you're asking purely about the safety of the vial, and not my own well-being? Eh, it's about 70-30. Well, I'm touched. And yeah, I've got it. Well, come on. Let's get you all down to the makeshift infirmary. We've been stocking supplies down in the dungeon room. There are also darts and a nice salad bar we set up. Fresh baby dills? Do I look like I would give you old baby dills? Sounds like you guys have it all figured out here. How many left below? Still a handful of popsicles stuck in deep storage. Some of them have been down there so long their names have been corrupted. Could be anyone. Or anything, I suppose. It keeps asking for a password. I tried Scotch. Scotch 1. Capital Scotch. Nothing. Ah, here we are. Hey, you guys are back. Whoa. What happened to everyone? Where to begin? We were put on the spot, see? Tearing through the streets, zazzled on noodle juice looking for trouble, when a whole copper chopper squad tried to take us for a ride. And now we're back, and everything's hotsy-totsy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that actually just about covers it. Jeez. Well, I'm glad you all made it. We've got medical supplies right over here. Let's get you up on the table. There we go. <sighs> Good? Good. Thanks. There is one more thing I need to show you. What is it? We found something else in the system, when we were trying to wake the others. I don't know how, but it's James. James is in the system? You mean he's awake somewhere? He's, he's plugged in? No, he's still frozen. Or at least his body is. We can't get him out, but, well, see for yourself. James? Yes, Alexis. Everyone is back. They, uh, they wanted to meet you. Oh, yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I have been monitoring the skirmish outside through the security station cameras. You are quite lucky to be alive. So it's you! You've been talking to me through the computer somehow. What? Did David put one of those little zappy chips in my head, too? Is that it? I am sorry, Kyle. I believe you are mistaken. I have not spoken with you in this present form and not before this moment in many years. And I'm only getting the normal voices, Chip and all. Sure you weren't just tired hearing things? I'm positive. I could hear him as clearly as I can hear you now. He kept telling me to keep my eyes open. I don't understand. Hmm. James, how did you get into the system? Why is your body still frozen? I am unsure. I seem to be myself but I also feel certain programs governing my actions. I have access to additional memories beyond my own, as well as many skills I did not previously possess. This would seem to indicate that David integrated my brain patterns with the compound security system. 
Whether I am the actual James or merely a backup copy is unclear, even to me. Fascinating. What are these skills you mentioned? We need every edge we can find if we're going to break this siege. I am able to control various aspects of the compound. Doors, elevators, security countermeasures, all are at my fingertips. However, I am also bound by the restricted clearance left in place by David. We will need to input the master passphrase in order for me to activate and control the exterior stun net turrets, for example. Wait, are you in communication with the laboratory servers? Can you access the equipment? Yes, I believe I am able. Kyle, the vial. Give it to Alexis. Let's load it into the matter scanner. Uh, James, see what you can make of it. This is very unusual. It appears to be an injection device loaded with a small cartridge containing an absorption agent and traces of cerebrospinal fluid. There is one additional element I am unable to identify. So, it's a syringe? Of sorts. There is a switch on top of the device that will prime it for injection. Whoa! Let me see! Careful, Kyle. Yeah, I see the button. Here we go! I truly do not know what the effect of this serum may be. I would not suggest human trials. <laughs> That's not what you're saying up here. Uh, Kyle? This is how it happens. This is how we all get out. There's no other way, you know that? Yeah, but still, you don't have to do this. There are options. We can just... This is how it happens. What are you doing? Stop him! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay, okay, okay. He's, uh, he's still breathing. Help me get him up on the examination table. His vital signs are stable, and he is in no immediate danger. However, he is experiencing elevated levels of activity centered around the hippocampus. It appears the substance he injected is attempting to integrate with his neuroanatomy. Kyle? You okay, buddy? I am making a few adjustments to my scanner, or rather, the compound scanner, my apologies. I should now be able to tune in to Kyle's brainwaves. Alexis, please connect him to the neural hood. On it. There. Ready. Analyzing. Yes. This is becoming quite clear to me. It's all very simple, really. I should be able to load Kyle into a sort of simulated dreamscape wherein the memories of the last few weeks can play out in a secure, guided environment, allowing him to peacefully come to terms with his current state of injury. However, the serum he injected may modify these memories and attempt to lead him astray. I will make an effort to fuse more deeply with the simulation so that I can better guide him if these false memories should interfere. So, you'll be in there. You'll be able to relive those memories with Kyle. Even communicate with him? And in turn, communicate this information back to us? In theory, yes. Do it. Oh, and welcome to the team, officially. A pleasure. Initiating simulation startup sequence. Wait, something is scanning. Peter, please step back. You were about to experience a discharge. Uh, what, like a sneeze? Or... Oh, no, I feel it coming on. It's story time. 
You know, I've, I've grown to enjoy this routine. It's become second nature, really. <coughs> oh, uh-oh. I guess I wasn't quite as agile as I thought getting in the door. Got me right in the button. Pocket all full of ants. Well, give me the pieces. Come on. Get them out of your... Ah! Those things really do sting. We have to fix it before that microchip thing scrambles any more of his brain. Well, the transmitter's fine. I'll just reroute and manually send the go signal with another power source. Is there a defibrillator or something in here? Oh, no need for that. I'll be coming back around. I can finally be of some use to the show. Just... Tell me what goes where. Okay, you're going to pinch those two wires together. Got it, got it. All right, we all know what to do. James, get the simulator up and running. Keep watch over Kyle's fragile sanity. Understood. Anybody wounded, stop being that ASAP. Secure the front door. Prepare non-lethal weaponry if it should fall. Kyle and James are searching for the password. If they find it, James will activate the turrets, bust everyone else out of cold storage, and we will all waltz on out of here. Literally, if we so desire. All right. Here it comes. Nice. Entering dreamscape in three, two, one. Welcome, friends. I am certain by now you've grown tired of this feeble recurring intro gag wherein I fail to introduce myself. And this is the No Sleep Podcast. Season 10, episode 16 is upon us at last, nipping aggressively at our heels with little regard for the cost of our footwear. Pictures and video and interpretive dances have been rolling in from across the nation as our touring group hugs you each in stride. We'd like to take a moment to thank everyone who has braved the weather and the threats of physical violence thus far to attend. It is our joy and our privilege to entertain you, whether near or far. That being said, let's dive into this week's tales. First up, we meet a woman looking for work who accepts a position at a rather shady company. Before she can even start the job, however, she catches a glimpse of one of the unusual company projects. Sometimes we all must do things we do not enjoy for our job. Join author Manon Lysette, as well as performers Aaron Lillis, Addison Peacock, Kyle Akers, and Dan Zapula. Together, we'll bear witness to the death of a monstrosity. I had no clue what my new job would entail as the elevator descended beyond the facility's third basement level. I suppose the secrecy with which the interview process had been conducted should have raised a few red flags, but I needed the money, so I hadn't asked questions. Even after I'd completed all the necessary background checks and earned my security clearance, 
They still hadn't told me exactly what I'd be doing or where I'd be working. They'd be pissed if they knew I was sharing this information now. That is, if they were still alive. That morning, a van had picked me up at my house and had driven me to an unknown location somewhere outside of town. I was in the back, sitting with my hands on my lap, trying to see through the heavily tinted windows of my cabin. It had been so dark that when the back doors finally swung open a few hours later, the sunlight stung my eyes. We were in the woods, and I was standing in a covered parking lot. Above was a net woven from climbing vines with a few poles and a metal mesh to support the weight. Past the lot was a building painted brown and green. From a distance, it blended almost seamlessly against its forest backdrop, but for a single set of sliding doors near the center of it. As I stepped closer, looking at it in awe, I found a similar bed of vines poking out from its roof. I imagined this place must have been nearly invisible from the air. My driver, an armed guard I hadn't realized was armed until he'd stepped out of the vehicle, took my luggage and whipped his head towards the front door as a sign for me to go. I was supposed to stay in that facility, day and night, for two months. But I barely lasted two hours. It was a gentle-looking woman who greeted me in the lobby, and her kind eyes temporarily eased my swells of anxiety. She was wearing a lab coat with a name tag that read Evelyn Sparrow. She handed me an access card with a photo I couldn't recall taking. Welcome, welcome. Her bright red lips curled into a broad smile. I'm Dr. Evelyn. Let's jump right into it, shall we? Please, right this way. Her voice was soft, and her words came out smooth, with each syllable meticulously attaching to the other like elegant, cursive scrawl. She led me to the elevators and pushed the button labeled 9. To my surprise, I felt us going down. We were headed to sub-level 9. 9. And that wasn't even as low as the numbers went. It was around level 5 that I started hearing something strange. There was a distant, garbled yelling that only became louder as we descended farther and farther down. It seemed like nonsense at first, but as the elevator finally came to a stop and the doors parted, the voice thundered into my ears and and I began to pick out order in the disorder. I didn't recognize the language. It sounded ancient. Latin, maybe. But with the deep, growly bellows of a European accent. Evelyn Sparrow seemed unfazed by the enraged calls coming from the far end of the hall. She led me to a door marked Insect Storage Room. You'll be working in here. I reached for the doorknob. The screams became louder and even more aggressive. She grabbed my hand to stop me. Hold on. It's almost time. I don't want to miss this. Her eyes sparkled with childlike glee. We continued down the hall towards the source of the deafening babbling. Evelyn swiped her keycard and unlocked a set of hospital doors leading to a massive room that must have taken up the height of two floors. Indeed, there was a graded and fenced path circling the four walls at the height a second floor would have been and researchers were walking in and out, taking notes and looking around unknown equipment, observing what was happening on my level. What I saw in the middle of that room 
was what finally cemented the realization I'd bitten off far more than I could chew. The source of the screams and the fuel of many nightmares to come was a head. A massive head, about the height of two grown men standing on top of one another. While it was distinctly humanoid, there was nothing human about its clammy, bluish skin or the two rows of black bumps protruding from its bald scalp. There was nothing natural about its piss-yellow eyes, full of brown stains, or its strange square irises that darted from one researcher to the other, lingering on each just long enough to make me wonder if it was trying to burn their faces into its memory. I don't know where it came from. I don't know what happened to the rest of its body. I, I can't wrap my head around how, where... Something of that gargantuan size could have hidden unnoticed on Earth for however long it existed before it was brought here. Nor could I imagine, couldn't even comprehend, who might have beheaded it. The head creature screamed its strange, unknown language through gritted, bark-like teeth, at times even smiling and letting out cruel, bellowing laughter. Even though I couldn't understand what it was saying, I somehow knew it knew what was happening. And it was not so silently both cursing and mocking us all. It would snap its teeth at anyone who dared walk too close, or at least whip it as much as its limited range of movement would allow. Faced with its fate, it chose defiance. It chose to etch a portrait of horror in the hearts of everyone that dared contribute to its downfall. Its intimidation tactics didn't seem to work on Evelyn, grinned in amazement at the colossal head, but I could see other researchers growing more and more anxious. Evelyn nudged me. It's about to start. Watch this. She looked at me, pushing a lock of her shoulder-length, curly blonde hair out of her face. She seemed to want me to share her enthusiasm, but I was shocked and horrified. They set up a ladder on the left side of the giant's head. A researcher climbed it. But the head twitched, and he fell and crawled away screaming. Some people. Another scientist took the previous guy's place, and two men approached, carrying a massive cylinder full of some sort of yellow substance. The cylinder ended in a narrow cone, and I couldn't help but equate its shape to a syringe. They carefully hauled it up to the scientist on the ladder. The bestial head's words were incomprehensible. The tone, however, was unmistakable. It was a taunt. A dark and angry taunt. One that seemed to say, Try. Go ahead and try. I'll make you regret it. Now, the gallery above had become crowded with researchers watching with a mix of fear, apprehension, and excitement as the cone of the cylinder was pushed into the giant's ear. It roared in protest, but without arms to swat them away, it was powerless to stop. Began the injection. I didn't see who had spoken. I couldn't look away from the scene in front of me. There was a hydraulic exhale as the syringe emptied itself straight into the creature's ear. It howled, though it sounded more like a battle cry than pain. 
I watched as its beach ball-sized eyes rolled to the back of its skull and its face began contorting. A hissing sound came out of it and the acrid smell of vinegar filled the room. The acid ate its way through the giant's brain, dissolving everything in its path. Parts of its skull began to decompress and cave in like an old jack-o'-lantern a week after Halloween. Its lips curled and puckered in involuntary muscle spasms, which spread to the rest of its face. Its hairless eyebrows arched up and down, its cheeks twitched, and its eyelids fluttered. A pink, soapy liquid bubbled out of its nose and ears and singed its skin as it traced along its magnified facial features. Finally, its movements stopped and the head fell silent. The room came to life with roars of excitement. Evelyn joined her colleagues giving hugs, high fives, and pats on the back. I think I was the only one still looking at the felled creature. As they were cheering and celebrating their victory, my eyes were locked on the colossal head, and I saw its disgusting yellow eyes whip back to the front with anger and vengeance burning in its square pinprick's irises. An involuntary muscle movement, maybe? I didn't stick around to find out. As though in a haze, I doubled back around to the elevators and walked out of the building. No one seemed to notice me as I did. I walked down a path in the woods just large enough for a car to pass down and eventually came upon a highway. I hitchhiked home. They never called me back. I wouldn't have answered the call even if they did. I don't really know why, but I made my way back there a few weeks later. Maybe I needed to prove to myself it wasn't all a bad dream. I just needed to see the facility again, if only for a moment. Call it closure, I guess. I parked my car along the highway and snuck through the woods rather than drive up to the building. I was banking on not being spotted. In and out, that's it. However, when I got there, I didn't see what I expected to see. The parking lot was full of cars, but some of them had been caved in and others tossed across the yard. There was a canopy of leaves glued to their bodies, as though they hadn't been moved in a while. What's more, the facility's front door had been torn off from the inside, leaving a bed of shattered glass on the front steps. My first thought, the thought I can't forget, is that the head had been reunited with its body. After all, what else would explain the deep gouges in the parking lot? Like fingers raking concrete as if it was dirt. What else would explain the indentations in some of those cars... Shaped suspiciously like footprints? And what else would explain the strange, low muttering I heard as I stood there? Before getting back into my car and driving away, leaving the place and its secrets behind.
In our next tale, we follow a young man to the moors as he attempts to assist his friend, seemingly plagued by a creature stalking him in the dark. He soon finds himself in the house of a bewitching and beautiful woman whose very presence seems to haunt and hold him. Written by author Jasmine Moisey Forrestall and performed by Nicole Doolan, Jesse Cornett, and Peter Lewis. Allow yourself to discover the dark power that lingers over these moors in The Siren and the Hound. The overcast sky hung low and dreary over the moors. Gray clouds seemed to drain the color out of the already dreary landscape. The rolling hills seemed to stretch infinitely toward the horizon, making me feel even more lost. Why had my car run out of fuel here, of all places? I knew I had filled the tank before I left. <sighs> Maybe it had a leak. That would be just my luck. My friend Carlos lived alone in a substantial house on the moors. He had recently called me in a panic, telling me about something large he had seen roaming the hills at night. He hadn't gone into much detail, but the things he told me he'd seen, uh, imagined, were enough to send a chill down my spine. I immediately booked some vacation time to come to the moors to visit him, hoping to quell his fears of the thing. I intended to prove that he had nothing to fear in the dark. I recalled his words as I trudged through thick, sucking mud. The night was fast approaching, and the sky threatened to open up and unleash a storm at any second. I tried to walk faster, but the sameness of my surroundings caused me to question every step. Was I going the right way? I had heard horror stories of travelers becoming irrevocably lost on this disorienting plane. They had walked in circles until death eventually dragged them deep into the mud, never to be seen again. I looked over my shoulder. My car was a tiny speck of silvery white on an otherwise gray and brown horizon. I debated going back. No. What would I do? Just wait in the car for some unknown, unlikely help? Despite the conditions, I was better off trying to help myself. I pressed onward. A gust of wind howled across the hills, carrying with it the first drops of the deluge to come. Lightning lit up the clouds with a flash, and a beat later the rumble of thunder was accompanied by the roar of torrential rain hitting the mud. I was instantly soaked through with water so cold that it felt like it was burning me. I fell to my knees in the quickly deepening mud, my muscles stiffening up with a sudden and horrible change of temperature. I closed my eyes for what felt like an instant, and when they reopened, the world was fully dark. I scanned my surroundings, searching for anything that wasn't rain and shadow. Nothing, not even my car, could be seen. It was as if I had fallen into another world. 
I stumbled to my feet, the mud trying to hold me in place. I fancied it wanted to keep me like it had so many others. It wanted me to stay with it forever, cold and lifeless in a tomb of ever-shifting clay. I had to find shelter fast, or it would have me. I took a few clumsy steps, seeking the dirt trail that I had previously followed. It was nowhere to be found. The rain had already washed away any trace of a path. I had no idea where to go. I plodded through the ever-worsening storm, my steps growing weaker as the mud deepened around me. The world was entirely dark until I saw it. There, out of the corner of my eye, flashed a tiny pinprick of bright red light. I focused on it, taking a step in its direction. Could it be a house? My heart skipped a beat when I saw that it was moving. It shook and bounced as if it were alive. It was moving too quickly to be a light held by a person, and too erratically to be the light of a car. The only other explanation could be a a four-wheeler or an ATV. That didn't make sense, though. Who would ride one of those on a night like this? My mind returned to the words of my friend. Glowing red eye. That was all the convincing I needed to quicken my pace. I tried to run, my stiff legs becoming stuck and twisted in the muck. The mud once again embraced me in its excruciatingly cold arms. I struggled and flailed, trying to escape its grip. My heart pounded in my chest as I attempted to crawl away. With each breath, I sucked in water and debris. I coughed, only for more muck to take the place of that which I had expelled. I dragged myself up, only to see that the light had grown brighter. No, not brighter, closer. A new panic burned through me like a wave of fire, as a flash of lightning served to confirm my fears. Lumbering towards me was a dark shape, a single red eye flashing as it approached. I didn't stop to study the creature, the thing. I ran like a panicked animal. My legs propelled me at a speed I had never thought my body capable of. I lost one of my shoes in the haste, but I didn't care in the least. Lightning lit up the sky, casting the muddy expanse in a light brighter than day, revealing a lone house that stood on a distant mound. The ensuing thunder left my ears ringing. I dared to glance over my shoulder, seeing the thing's red eye cresting the nearest hill. I turned back, and I could just barely see a tiny golden light. The house. I looked over my shoulder again, and a flash of lightning lit up the world in a blinding white light. I only saw it for a moment, but that image shall remain burned into my memory for as long as I live. The monster was at least the size of a fully grown horse, with fur that seemed to absorb all light. 
Its long, disturbingly red tongue dripped with tar-like saliva as it licked knife-sized silver teeth. My feet slipped out from beneath me and I rolled down a particularly steep hill. I scrambled in the sudden mudslide, my clothes drenched in mud as thick as wet cement. I lost my remaining shoe in the battle to get to my feet, and the sudden river carried me to the bottom of the steep hill faster than I could have run. I got to my now bare feet in record time, the rain almost instantly washing the mud from my clothes as I resumed my desperate run for the house. I didn't look back as I ascended the hill on which the lonely manor stood. My bare soul seemed to catch every sharp rock on the hillside, but I ignored the bleeding, the pain, and pressed on. As I approached, the door opened and a tall figure stood in the entrance. My blood chilled, my heart skittered as I heard a deep, reverberating howl echo throughout the countryside. The beast was at the bottom of the hill. I let out an impotent cry that was immediately drowned out by the rainstorm. So close, I was so close. My aching legs felt as if they'd been pumped full of lead, yet I refused to give up. I could feel the beast's breath on my neck as I leapt for the open door, letting out a shriek of desperation. The stranger slammed the door behind me as I lay sprawled out on the hardwood floor of the entry hall. I felt as if I had been hit by a bus. Every muscle in my body hurt. My vision swam as I frantically tried to catch my breath. The last thing I saw before my world faded to black was a pair of royal blue velvet shoes. I woke up to a sweet smell, like lilac with a faint hint of the sea. There was a woman shaking me. Her lips were moving, but it took me a moment to realize what she was saying. Please don't be dead. Please don't be dead. Wake up. I can't get you to a hospital in this weather. Her voice was like honey, with the slightest hint of an accent I couldn't quite place. I let out a groan of pain. My eyes watered as her face came into focus. I gasped slightly. Her eyes were the dark blue of a calm evening sea. Flecks of gold and green danced across her irises like the last lights of a sunset. She held my focus as she spoke. Are you all right? The pain seemed to fade away the longer I stared into those eyes, and I felt as if I were sinking beneath their calm blue waters. A wave of bliss seemed to flood my body. I felt ten years younger, as if I were twenty again. Her eyes were my fountain of youth, and I would gladly drown in their depths. Yes. I wasn't sure what else to say. I no longer felt the burn of my physical exhaustion. It was as if this mysterious, beautiful stranger had renewed my life force. Thank goodness. She smiled. Her angelic voice was the most beautiful thing I had ever heard. 
I found that I wasn't cold anymore. Her very presence seemed to warm me to the core. I smiled stupidly at her. Let's get you some dry clothes and a hot bath. Lest you catch your death of cold. I'll make you a hot meal while you get ready, or I wouldn't be as good a hostess if I let my guests starve. Uh, yeah. I followed her up the dark oak stairs to a lavish bathroom where a hot bath had been drawn. A folded set of men's silk pajamas lay on a chair beside the deep marble bathtub. I didn't bother to question why they were there. I peeled off my drenched and muddy clothes, discarding them in a pile on the floor. The water was perfect, blissfully hot and scented with something like lavender. I sunk into the water, my eyes slipping shut. Once I had finished scrubbing off the mud that still clung to my body, I dried off with one of the decadently plush towels that rested near the tub. I dressed in the pajamas and went back downstairs. I couldn't help but notice that the floor of the hall and stairs was now entirely free of mud. My host must have mopped it up. The entire place had a bright, new feel to it, despite the house's apparent age. I caught a whiff of something cooking and my stomach growled. I hadn't realized just how hungry I was until then. Whatever it was had a rich, savory aroma like perfectly prepared meat. The kitchen door stood open, spilling a warm orange light into the hall. When I entered, I saw my hostess stirring a pot of some aromatic stew on the stove. My mouth watered. I could practically taste the sweet and savory meat. The lady turned, smiling softly. Her eyes twinkled like stars. She was so beautiful. Hungry? I could feel the warmth in her voice spreading throughout my entire body, bringing with it a sort of sleepy bliss that I had never felt before. Oh, yes. My vocabulary had seemingly been reduced to the most basic of words in the presence of this... this woman. For the first time, I noticed her attire. Uh, why was she wearing a leather apron? Weren't those for butchers? How did she keep her pristine white shirt so clean? Her black jeans looked to be brand new. How was her hair so perfect? I felt some of the euphoria leave as I asked myself these questions. She stiffened as if she were reading my thoughts. Why don't you go wait for your food in the dining room for me? Her voice swept all doubt away like a wave. What... what had I been thinking about? Nothing but my beauty, darling. Her voice was whispering in my head, in my mind. You know you love me, don't you, pet? Yes. I needed to please her. It was my reason for living. She smiled, making me giddy with sheer joy. I found my way to the elegant dining hall, 
The room was exquisite, a high ceiling held up by grand pillars, beautifully carved arches and adornments. A long table in the middle of the room appeared to have been carved from a single massive piece of marble. Intricate patterns were carved on the legs and sides of the massive stone table. These patterns were accented with gold and silver. I sat in one of the comfortable dining chairs and looked closely at the carvings. They were bizarre, to say the least. One of the broad legs depicted a sailor being pulled underwater by a mermaid that looked oddly like my hostess. Above her flew birds with human faces which looked as if they were singing. The carvings were so detailed that I could almost see the sleepy joy on the man's face as he was dragged beneath the waves. Beautiful, isn't it? I almost jumped out of my seat. The lady was standing directly behind me. It's an old family heirloom, crafted by the best sculptors in the ancient lands, to appease my ancestors. She pointed to a portrait on the wall, smiling. That's my great-grandmother. The painting was magnificent. It depicted a beautiful woman standing in front of the ocean. The lady had a warm smile and kind eyes, but something seemed off about her. Were her teeth really that sharp? You must be famished. My hostess spoke suddenly, drawing my attention away from the picture. She was holding out a plate of rice, topped with hot stew and a glass of deep red wine. Eat up, you need your strength. The stew was the most incredible thing I had ever tasted. The meat was tender and succulent, the vegetables fresh, despite how late in the year it was. The entire dish was sublime, and it was paired perfectly with that deep red wine. The whole meal left me feeling more satisfied than I had ever been. When I was done, as if on cue, my strange hostess reappeared in the dining room. I followed the woman like a lamb to the slaughter. She filled my vision, my thoughts. She was my world. My hostess led me to a lavish guest room, where I fell asleep quickly on the silken sheets of the king-sized bed. I dreamt of a great ship. Sitting on the bow, I stared out at the seemingly infinite sea around me. The inky black water was as still as glass, and not a breath of wind blew across its eerily tranquil surface. The water perfectly reflected the night sky above. I don't think I've ever seen so many stars. Thousands upon thousands of stars twinkling in the charcoal black. Despite the beauty of the scene, the utter stillness felt wrong. It was as if my very existence in this silent dreamscape was disturbing something ancient and powerful. The feeling was so profound, so unsettling, that even the sound of my pulse began to feel disgusting and wrong. I felt as if I had no right to disturb that silence, and that by doing so I was committing an unforgivable and heinous act. A distant ripple caught my eye, 
all of a sudden I felt nauseous with dread. No, no, no. This was disastrous. It rises. I had woken it up. It was... it was coming for me. I began to cry with utter terror. It comes. A primal fear gripped me. My every instinct told me to stop my racing heart. I needed to be still. Everything depended on my complete stillness. It was watching me. It knew I was here. It sees. Something pale rose from the still water in the distance. It was tiny, just a dot in the sea of night. But it frightened me more than anything I have ever experienced. It darted back beneath the waves, making a tiny splash that sounded like cannon fire in the silence. A bright red light crested the horizon, making the stars above bleed together into the crimson smear of some terrible dawn. A cold, slimy hand touched my shoulder. I caught a glimpse of pale bluish flesh, wretched and slimy. I screamed, the sound tearing apart the stillness and drawing the gaze of the red light in the sky. I realized with horror that it was not the sun that hung over the horizon, but some great eye. It hungers. As I felt my sanity beginning to shred and bleed into the red of the world around me, I shut my eyes and surrendered to the madness. The world was silent once more. All I could hear was the thundering of my heart. I dared to open my eyes and saw my strange hostess looking down at me, concern etched into her lovely features. I glanced down at myself, embarrassed. I I was drenched in sweat and I'd kicked all of the fine bed covers to the floor. I felt my cheeks grow hot. I didn't want her to see me like this. It's all right. We all have nightmares. Though her face was creased with sympathy for my situation, I briefly saw something else glitter behind her eyes. Amusement. It was a malicious sort of humor. It writhed behind the mask of concern, a snake hiding in a bouquet of flowers. As quickly as I had seen it, it was gone. My hostess led me downstairs where she had prepared me a full breakfast. I expressed my gratitude, though that look had planted the tiniest seed of suspicion in my mind. I was only now beginning to question the strange effect the woman had on me. She waited until I'd finished eating before speaking again. The phone lines are down due to the storm. I don't have a cell phone, so I shall go into the town and call someone to come and fetch you. She paused, smiling at me. I opened my mouth to speak to suggest I accompany her into the town. I would much rather have you stay here. I hate to leave the house unattended. 
Her precognition made unease grip the back of my skull, cold pinprick fingers dancing up the nape of my neck, caressing my scalp. She met my eyes. I hope this won't be a problem for you. Beneath her kind tone, there lurked a firmness that told me that if I protested, she would be far less kind than she had been. So, no, I assured her I would not have a problem with this. I gave her Carlos's home phone number so that she could call him. Something deep down told me she wouldn't, but my conscious mind, that civilized part of my brain that refused to accept something terrible was happening, firmly told me that I was just being paranoid. It made me feel horrible for doubting this kind woman's word. It shamed me for being suspicious and ungrateful after all my hostess had done for me. I watched from the library window as my hostess drove away over the muddy hills in her jet-black car. Seeing her leave made me feel even more isolated. I felt like I was back on the ship, trapped in the middle of a silent black sea without hope of escape or rescue. I spent the day exploring the great house. The mansion seemed endless, with countless rooms branching off from every hall. It was beautiful and impossible all at the same time. It instilled in me a sense of great awe and a lingering dread that lodged in my throat like a bitter aftertaste. At around noon, I decided to take a shower. The memories of the dream made me feel dirty, as if it had coated me in cold chicken grease. I found my way back to the first bathroom I had visited. Somehow, despite the alien nature of the house, this bathroom in particular felt familiar and comfortable. The bathroom had a separate steam shower. I had never used one before, so I looked forward to trying it. I got in and turned on the steam and water. The shower fogged up quickly and the hot water and steam washed away that cold, slimy feeling the nightmare had left me with. My body feeling cleaner now, I got out and wiped the condensation from the mirror, staring into the eyes of my reflection. Something caught my attention and I froze. There, on the shoulder that the cold thing had touched in my dream, was a pale, bluish handprint. It was faint, but clear. Where the thing had touched me, it had left a mark the same color as its abhorrent flesh. I felt suddenly nauseous. That... that thing had been real. I barely made it to the toilet before hot bile surged up my throat. I looked down and saw that the vomit was the color of ink and just as reflective. It looked as if I had vomited crude oil. It smelled and tasted like seawater. My face paled, shimmering on the obsidian surface. Disgusted and confused, I flushed. Stumbling downstairs, I found myself in the library. A liquor cabinet sat in one corner. I retrieved a bottle of fine whiskey and returned to the shower where I stayed for the rest of the day. 
The hot water never seemed to run out even though I was in there for hours. Unfortunately, the same couldn't be said for the whiskey. Finally accepting the bottle was dry, I went downstairs, drawn to the dining room by a smell that made my mouth water and my stomach rumble. My hostess was nowhere to be seen, but there was a succulent roast set out for me. It was like no meat I had ever tasted, garnished with carrots and potatoes that once again tasted almost too fresh for the season. This time the meal was perfectly paired with a medium-bodied red wine. The whole spread left me relaxed and sleepy. No matter how hard I tried, I could not remember why I had ever mistrusted my hostess. I retired to bed to find that the room had been tidied up in my absence. I felt a pang of guilt forever thinking that the generous woman who had treated me so well could have any ulterior motives. Blissful fantasies of staying here with her forever guided me into sleep. I was in a well-furnished lounge, sitting on an ancient velvet armchair. The only sound was the muffled ticking of an ornate clock upon the mantel. The sound felt out of place in the silence. Any sound did. I stood, cringing as the chair groaned. All had to be silent. The floorboards creaked beneath my feet as I walked toward the clock. Its ticking seemed to quicken as I approached. The minute hand moved faster and faster towards midnight. Inexplicably, I didn't want that hand to touch the gilded number 12. In that moment, nothing was more important to me than preventing the clock from striking. I grabbed the timepiece and threw it to the floor. The sound of it shattering felt like a drill penetrating my eardrum. I stood still as the grave, the clock broken at my feet, listening to the cold, oppressive silence. There was a splash from outside the door. The sound of the shattering clock had alerted something to my presence. I ran outside against my better judgment. I was back on the infernal ship. The pale thing was standing gracefully upon the bow, its face shrouded by a veil of dark hair. I tried to look at it, but my eyes didn't want to obey. From the corner of my eye, I discerned that it was naked and genderless, but vaguely feminine in shape. A lump swelled in my throat as it took a step towards me. It had an air of deliberate confidence to it, just trying to process the way it moved made me nauseous. It shifted like ink in water, but with the purpose and determination of a predator stalking prey. It was simultaneously fluid and solid in a way that made my head hurt. The sudden unreality of the situation must have subdued me for a moment because the monster was halfway across the deck before the fear hit me. Sheer terror hit me in the gut like a steel baseball bat. All the air left my lungs as a tight, fiery pain exploded in my chest. 
I gasped for air, falling to my knees. I swayed, lightheaded and sick. I fainted. I woke up in a cold sweat, the first rays of dawn beginning to burn crimson on the horizon. My skin felt cold and greasy, and my head hurt. I stumbled into the bathroom and vomited up torrents of the reflective black gunk. I looked at my reflection in the mirror, haggard and pale, with deep rings around my eyes that were almost as dark as the inky discharge. I got into the shower, desperate to wash off the slimy remnants of my dream once and for all. The heat and steam cleansed my body and mind of the foulness of that ship. It was an incredibly cathartic experience, and I left feeling almost normal. Breakfast was waiting for me downstairs, though I simply dumped it in the trash. I remembered how unnaturally complacent supper had made me the night before, and I didn't want to bend to this woman's will any more than I already had. I suspected that she had drugged the food. The woman's car was missing, so I searched the house for my old clothes. My wallet had been in my coat pocket. It held my passport, money, and identification. I couldn't leave without it. I searched my room from top to bottom with no sign of my clothes or belongings. Frustrated and trying not to panic, I checked every room in the house until I found a laundry chute tucked away in a walk-in closet. I tried to find a door to a basement where the chute might lead, but my search was fruitless. Eventually, I decided with resignation that the only way I could get to the basement was via the chute. The incline appeared just gentle enough for me to maneuver my way down. I squeezed into the opening feet first. The chute was just barely big enough for me to fit, but fit I did, and with a gentle push I propelled myself forward down into the depths of the house. I was sliding for a long time, too long. The further down I got, the colder the metal became. Soon I was shivering in the dark, claustrophobic space. Then, with no warning, the chute opened up beneath me. I landed with a thud on a pile of clothing. The space I found myself in smelled damp and moldy like a cave. The sudden juxtaposition was shocking compared to the freshness of the air upstairs. It was also entirely dark, and I had to feel my way around the pile of clothes. Sure enough, I found mine. They were still damp and caked with mud. It felt wrong, these dirty rags being anywhere near the lady's immaculate house. My status as an outsider suddenly came crushing down on me. I shouldn't be here. I didn't belong. This wasn't a place for me. Rummaging in my filthy pockets, I found my wallet, then began blindly feeling my way away from the clothes heap. The smooth stone floor was damp and uneven, the ceiling so low I couldn't stand, only crouch. 
After stumbling and bashing my elbow on a roughly hewn wall, I decided to just crawl so I wouldn't lose my footing again. As I crawled, I could faintly make out a salty smell. It was like the sea, but corrupted somehow, toxic. My hand splashed into a puddle of icy water. I gasped the cold wetness catching me completely off guard. When I brought the hand to my nose, it smelled acrid, salty. I crawled faster. I don't know how long I spent in that tunnel, but eventually I saw a faint light up ahead. It was coming through a tiny crack in the ceiling, higher above my head than I'd realized. I stood up to my full height, carefully touching it. The crack was long and straight. I pushed up on the ceiling and it moved, a trap door. I pulled myself up through it. The trap door led into a finished basement with wooden flooring and plain white walls. The walls were lined with freezers, far too many freezers for simply food storage. And the freezers smelled of the sea. I stumbled over to the one directly in front of me, my knees aching from their time on the cold cave floor, and I placed my hands on the lid. I paused there, palms resting on the cool metal of the freezer. It felt strange to my touch, like like it was coated in some substance. But no, it, it wasn't the freezer, it was me. The hairs on my neck stood on end as I studied my hand. The one that had landed in the puddle was coated with an inky black substance. It had just started to dry, or coagulate, maybe, and it clung to my skin, thick and sticky. The substance was reflective, tar-like, and horribly familiar. What hell was going on in this house? I flung open the freezer lid. A wave of cold, pale mist shrouded its contents. As the mist dispersed, the horror within was gradually revealed. A wave of nausea rolled over me, but I forced it back. Before me, in the freezer, lay the naked, headless body of a man. And his head wasn't the only part that was missing. Precise, clean cuts had sheared away portions of his body. Cuts had been taken from his stomach, biceps, thighs. His genitals, too, had been removed. I put a hand over my mouth to stifle a scream. Had, had, had the meat, the... Ah, the strange, sweet meat, unlike anything I'd tasted before... Had it been human? Oh, dear God. Had I eaten people? Then I smelled it. Lilac, with the faintest trace of a smell, I now recognized as that wrong, salty stink. They aren't for food. I whirled around to see my hostess standing there, looking as beautiful as ever if not for the wicked smile on her face. Worry not. The delightful meat you've enjoyed is nothing more exotic than venison. You haven't been eating people. Although... 
That would still be so much better than your situation. <laughs> you aren't the first to assume that I was a cannibal. Don't worry. But the reality of your situation is so much more complicated than that. I was dumbstruck. What? That was all I could think to say. I could feel the effect of her presence. She was already starting to slow my thoughts, pumping a warm happiness into my brain. It made me docile and harmless. I screamed at myself internally. It felt like I was sinking into a pool of warm honey. Oh, sweetie, that isn't going to work. She smiled wickedly. Now you're going to follow me. I have much to show you before the Leviathan has its supper. My body moved against my will, and the part of me that wanted to obey her beat down my rational mind. I like to show my guests how I do my little mind trick before I sacrifice them. Her voice was chipper and bright like a kid at show and tell. The look on their faces as I show them how I pulled their strings is the best part of what I do. She turned around and grinned. Heck, it's even better than the immortality and eternal youth. Oh, and my name is Calypso, by the way. But you can call me Callie. Calypso. You are a monster. The smile retreated from her face in the blink of an eye. You will call me Callie. She strode towards me, gripping my chin. Call me Callie and tell me how much you love me, you pathetic worm. Her breath smelled like seaweed and salt. It was cool and almost refreshing, like an ocean breeze. I am a goddess to you, you puny mortal. Her spittle flew, hitting my face like cold ocean spray. I am so sorry, Callie. I was losing control of my whole body. I fell to my knees and kissed her foot. My goddess, oh my goddess, please forgive my evil tongue. It lies, it lies. Please cleanse me of the evil that would dare insult your all-powerful beauty. The words disgusted me, but I had no way to stop them. It was clear to me they were Callie's words, what she wanted to hear. Calypso grinned. Good boy. <laughs> now follow me. Callie slid open a panel on the wall. I stumbled after her as she led me into a modest but immaculate laboratory. She indicated to the lab equipment surrounding her. This is where I make the compound that makes you men so obedient. I won't bore you with the science of it, but this is where I make a drug with effects similar to Devil's Breath. Mine only works on male subjects, though, and it makes you want to please me. Although, of course, most men are weak specimens when faced with an attractive woman and want to please me anyway. 
But if they don't, this beautiful drug bends their subconsciouses to my will. What about you, my dear? Was it the drug, or was it... She looked down sneeringly at my waist. Well, you know that. My cheeks burned, a mixture of shame and anger bubbling up inside me. Callie continued on, her attention back on the drug now. It's derived from the water in the Leviathan's home plane of reality, an ancient recipe used by women in my family line for centuries. I wear it like a perfume. That's why you're so attracted to me. Those affected suffer from what they think are nightmares. But really, their consciousness is simply existing in the Leviathan's reality for a brief time. I, I was dumbstruck. I asked the only question I could think of. W what are the bodies for? She smiled sweetly. Those? Oh, those are just for bribing the Hound. She saw my confused expression and rolled her eyes. The hound that chased you here could have caught you if he wanted to, and yet all it did was get you where you needed to go. He's like my little sheepdog. I love my little puppy so much. I couldn't help but sneer at this monster's show of humanity. Cute. Callie smiled, ignoring my sarcasm. Yes, he is. She led me to another panel in the wall, which opened onto an elevator. I followed her in. The door shut behind us, and the elevator began to descend. I don't know how long we were in that elevator. The farther down we went, the more the place smelled of that corrupted ocean. The smell, which I was beginning to understand, belonged to the Leviathan's home world. At some point, the light went out. They stayed out after that. We stood silently in the metal box. I don't know why I wasn't afraid. Maybe it was the drug. Maybe I was at a point where I could no longer feel fear. Maybe I had just surrendered to my fate. After a long time, Calypso spoke. It's funny. You're the first person who ever managed to insult me. She sounded almost regretful. Most people just silently follow. Even in the dark, I could tell that she had turned her intense eyes on me. How did you do that? Resist the drug, I mean. I don't know. Okay. We're almost there. Yeah, I know. The doors opened, and I saw the ship. The pale thing stood on the bow, regarding me through a curtain of dark hair. I calmly left the elevator, walking towards it. On the horizon, the red light crested the ocean, swallowing the world in its bloody glow. The thing extended a hand, and I took it. Together, we walked into the red.
Where am I? What's going on? That hurt so much in my brain. Still. Huh. Kyle. Welcome back. I am pleased to report that you have fully reoriented. Re... what? Your brain has finished processing the memories of the last few weeks. You have, in a sense, caught up to the present. I... I think I understand. I'm still lying there on the examination table. In the compound? I could hear you guys helping me. I tried to respond. So, I'm connected to this... fake world? Correct. Is everything okay out there? Have they broken down the door yet? Do not concern yourself. Only a moment has passed since our connection was formed. Things move a little slowly here. They have time yet. I feel... good? It feels powerful here. Safe. I am happy to hear you say that. I put much of myself into this simulation. It was my hope that this program would assist with an easy transition. The damage your brain suffered as a result of the serum has been 86% repaired. It is not ideal, but will suffice for now. Hybridization, however, was 100% successful. Hybridization? Oh, yes. The tissue of your brain, it seems, is rather easily coerced. I was able to find many rewarding footholds. I'm not sure I understand. We were here to find the password, right? The stuff, the injection, you were in my head. You told me this was the right thing to do. Oh, it is. (laughs) I suppose there is no longer need for pretense in this place, as I have you so utterly, intimately alone. Your innermost thoughts at my fingertips. Only fair to return the favor with an iota of introduction. I am not James, you see. Not some pathetic flesh beast made still by something as crass as temperature. I am not one of you. Alexis, I need to get out. Get me out of here. Oh, yes. Cry for help. Do. Whine to the others. It really is what your species is best at. All talk, no action. Alexis! You really thought this was all about you? A sprawling dungeon, a secure compound, all to house a few shabby thespians and their mistreated crew? Your arrogance sickens me, as it sickens all denizens of the substructure. What? What are you? I am a merry mixture of many places, many faces. We are the great amalgam. Would you like to see the future now, Kyle? (laughs) Wake up then. Open your eyes and... He's back. He's back. Nico, I, I think you can take the syringe out now. Oh, sorry. Kyle, you okay? Yes. Yes, I am... alive. You were thrashing around, trying to scream something to us. Like you were caught in a nightmare. James stopped responding. We thought we lost you both. I am terribly sorry to worry you. What happened? Did you find the password? There is no password. I found the source. But I believe what you are truly asking is, am I able to rescind the lockdown? Am I now capable of releasing every last specimen from David's private collection? 
And are you? Yes. It's time to rest on our dark journey. We thank you for joining us. If you would like to find out how you can hear the full-length versions of our audio program, please visit thenosleeppodcast.com to learn about our Season Pass program. 25 episodes, each over two hours long, and three exclusive bonus episodes, all for only $19.99. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for listening. Join us again next week when the journey resumes its descent into the sleepless night. This audio production is copyright 2017-2018 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc.